So why is it that I only seem to really get a craving for Chick-fil-A on Sunday? Why is it? I mean, it's good every day of the week, right? But, but don't you wish sometimes, man, we could leave church on Sunday and go get a spicy deluxe with extra pickles, put a little Polynesian sauce on it? If you don't know, that's my order. But what do we know about Chick-fil-A? I mean, we know that they have great service. We know that it is their pleasure for us to be there. But the thing that Chick-fil-A is probably most known for, right, is being closed on Sunday. You know, not too long ago, that wasn't that unusual. I'm sure many of you remember days in which there wasn't a business in town that was open on Sunday. In fact, I know that when my mother was growing up in the small town that she grew up in, in South Central Alabama, not only was everything closed on Sunday, but everything closed at like noon or one o'clock on Wednesday. That's not the way it is now, is it? As Chick-fil-A has shown, to to be closed on Sunday can be radically countercultural in a way that a lot of people just find to be a little bit weird. As we continue our study of the Ten Commandments today, we're going to look at the Fourth Commandment. We are in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 11. Will you stand with me as we read God's word together? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we open your word to study it this morning, I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. As we gather on this Lord's day, May we seek your face and your will in all things. Amen. May we be seated. Interestingly, this eighth commandment is actual, excuse me, fourth commandment. It's the eighth verse. I've been doing this all week. So the fourth commandment starts in the eighth verse. I'll get it straight eventually. This fourth commandment is, in fact, word-wise, the longest of any of the ten commandments. And it sort of gets broken down into three parts. In verse 8, we see the what of the commandment. In verses 9 and 10, we see the how of the commandment. And in verse 11, we see the why of the commandment. So as as we look back and we look at verse 8, we see it says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is a pretty straightforward what, right? What are we to do? We're to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember here is sort of doing double work. First, let's not forget that 
the Lord has already given the Sabbath to his people. In fact, it's the only commandment that is given to them before they come to Sinai here in verse 20. Back in Exodus 16, as God's people are making their way there, you remember the story of the manna from heaven that comes down? They're to gather manna from heaven. They're, to, they're not to, to, to store any. They're to gather only what they need for that day, except on the sixth day. On the sixth day, they are to gather what they need for the sixth and the seventh day. And God tells them, because you need to rest on the Sabbath. So, so in one sense, what God is doing here is saying, hey, remember, I've already told you this part, so remember it. But there's also this idea that we need to remember those things that we're supposed to do every week, right? Like, I'm supposed to take the trash out every Monday night so it's out on Monday morning. And yet, every week, I've got to remember that. Because the weeks that I don't remember it, by the time we get to the next Monday night, things are a little dire. Well, what about this? You have a birthday every year. Right? Or, or, or an anniversary every year. You've got to remember it. You want it to be remembered. Right? But remembering it, it's not good enough for somebody to, to pick up the phone and on, your, on your birthday, a, a close loved one, and say, hey, I, I, it's your birthday. Or her, how about this? It's your, it's your anniversary and... You come home and you're like, hey, sweetheart, don't worry. I didn't forget that this was our anniversary. Happy anniversary. And then walk off and do something else. There's, a, there's an attitude of doing in the remembering too. Right? I've got to remember to take the trash out. I'm doing something. I've got to remember that March the 7th is her birthday. And it's hard. Because she was born on March the 7th in 88. And those numbers, 8 and 7, are right next to each other. And I never can remember if she was born on the 8th and 87 or on the 7th and 88. It's hard. It really, you, you, you think I'm joking. I have to incorporate her birthday into passwords so I can remember her birthday. I got to remember... That January the 9th is our anniversary. And let me tell you, for me, it's not good enough to, to show up and say, hey, it's our anniversary, I love you, and i got to put in a little effort, right? We're supposed to remember the Sabbath. That's part of the what. The second part of the what is to keep it Holy. To keep it holy. When we keep something holy, we sanctify it. We set it apart for sacred use. So we're to remember the Sabbath. We're to remember and keep it holy. We're to remember and set it apart. That's the what. What's the how we find here in verses 9 and 10? You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. Notice here, God's speaking ahead. At this point, Israel camped out at the base of Sinai. Do they have any city gates? But they will. God's speaking ahead here. 
Notice what it says, though, in verse 9. It says, for six days you will work. There's a, there's a, there's a command here to work, right? We focus on the command to rest, and that's important, and that's the, the main purpose. But there's a, there's a command here to work. It's our, it's our duty to work. God gives us work. God governs our work just as much as he gives and governs our rest. You know, a lot of us have a really negative attitude about work, don't we? In fact, there are some folks who have even claimed that, that work itself is a result of the fall. But if you go back and you read Genesis 2, you'll see that long before the fall, God gives Adam the garden and tells him to what? To work in it. Work is given to us. By God, we're made to work. Now, our work is now cursed by our sin. That's what God tells Adam, right? He says, you're going to continue the work that you were doing, but the ground is now cursed because of you. It's going to be harder. It's going to be drudgery. You're going to get a negative attitude about it because of your sin. So we're to, to labor for six days and do all of our work. But the, the seventh is to be a Sabbath to our Lord. Sabbath, actually, it says Sabbath to the Lord. The, remember, capital O L O R D. So this is to be a Sabbath to, to Yahweh. We've just heard to keep his name holy, right? To not use it in vain. And now we see the name again right here. Keep the Sabbath to Yahweh your God. It's about setting it apart and making it sacred. But for what? So that we can worship God. We're called to rest, but we're called to a, to a holy rest. To, to set it aside for worship. You know, this, this taking the seventh day and setting it aside for worship, this is unique in ancient cultures. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense to us to have a seven-day week, right? Because we've always had a seventh-day week. But, but if you go back and you look at ancient calendars, there's no reason to have a seven-day week. And a lot of ancient cultures had other lengths of weeks. But the cultures that did have a seventh day, their seventh day was not a day that was set aside for the worship of their God. No, they saw the seventh day as a day of misfortune. The cultures around Israel saw the seventh day as a day of misfortune. And yet here comes Israel saying, we're going to take the seventh day, this day of misfortune, and we're going to use it to honor and worship our God. And so we're to worship Right? It's, it's to be a, a Sabbath day to the Lord our God. But then he continues, you must not do any work. So it is a holy day, but it is also a rest day, holy rest. We're to refrain from common labor. And if you look here, who is it that's to refrain? It's, it's you. So who is God addressing? He's addressing the adults of Israel, the men and the women. But then who else is to not do any work? The son and the daughter. The male servant and the female servant. The livestock. 
isn't to do any work. See, it's, it's for everybody to enjoy. It's a time for, for family to, to be together and enjoy time together. It's time for the servants to, to have the opportunity to rest from their labors, for the servants to have an opportunity to worship God as well. So that's the, the what and the how. We're to remember the Sabbath day. That's what we're supposed to do. How are we going to do that? We do that by setting it apart and making it holy and by resting. And why? Why do we do it? You know, there are a lot of good practical reasons for taking one day and seven and setting them aside. You know, it's really interesting. Secular studies have shown that after about six days of work without any rest, we become monumentally less efficient and effective. There are practical reasons for it. It's, it's good for us to rest. It restores us physically and spiritually. Jesus tells us in Mark that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath is good because it promotes the worship of God. Keeping the Sabbath is good because it's good for, for, as we just saw, it's good for the kids and the workers and the animals. But the foundational reason that we see in verse 11 has nothing to do with these practical reasons. As true as they might be, the foundational reason that we see there in verse 11 is theological. God made the world in six days and then he rested. God was active and creative and brought the world forth in, in six days and, and then rested it in that, in that pattern. He sets a pattern for our own work and leisure. You know, we work because we're made in the image of, God, of a God who works. What does he do? He makes us in his image. What has he been doing? Before he makes us in his image, he's been working, he's been creating, he's been making the world. And he makes us in his image. But we rest because we're made in the image of a God who rests. You know, the first time that God blessed anything was the day that he blessed the day of rest. It's the first thing that he blesses in Scripture. And so why do we do it? Why do we remember it? By keeping it holy and by resting? Why do we do that? We do it because God has made it holy. Because God has blessed it. Because God has patterned for us this rest. Last summer we went through Ezra and Nehemiah. I don't know if y'all remember that. But toward the end of Nehemiah there's this, there's this interesting um, sort of event that happens. This is in Nehemiah 13. And at the end of Nehemiah, um, you know, they, they, they've, they've rededicated the temple. They've rededicated the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah uh, leaves. 
He's the governor, and he leaves to go do some stuff. And when he comes back, he finds that the people of God aren't doing all of the things they're supposed to be doing. And in particular, they're falling short on the Sabbath. In verse 15, Nehemiah Nehemiah 13, verse 15, we read this. At that time, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in stores of grain and loading them on donkeys, along with wine, grapes, and figs. All kinds of goods were being brought to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, so I warned them against selling food on that day. The Tyrians living there were in importing fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem. They've started ignoring God. They've they've fallen back into a kind of spiritual bondage. You know, they're basically committed to serving God, but there's all of this pressure. The, the, The Tyrians want to come in. These are people from Tyre, by the way. They want to come in. They want to do business on Sunday. And so the people of God sort of collapse under the pressure of this surrounding culture. Well, I know we're really not supposed to do it, but we can make some money. And everybody out there is doing it. And, and, and if we don't open the city gates on Sunday and let the Tyrians in to do business, we're going to miss all of that money. We're going to miss all of that business. This is what Nehemiah comes back and he sees. He continues in verse 17. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil you are doing? profaning the sabbath day didn't your ancestors do the same so that our god brought all this disaster on us and on this city and now you are rekindling his anger against israel by profaning the sabbath remember what's just happened they've just come back from exile they've just rebuilt the city one of the reasons they had been sent into exile one of the reasons jerusalem had been destroyed is because they their ancestors had not done the will of god They had profaned the Sabbath. The the prophets bring it up over and over and over again. And so here's Nehemiah. There's a certain amount of, there's a certain amount of, I'm supposed to keep you on the straight and narrow so God doesn't crush you again. What are you doing? God had withdrawn his favor from the people of Israel because they had failed to follow his word and his law. So what does Nehemiah do about it? When the shadows began to fall on the city gates of Jerusalem just before the Sabbath, I gave orders that the city gates be closed and not opened until after the Sabbath. I posted some of my men at the gates so that no goods could enter during the Sabbath. Once or twice, the merchants and those who sell all kinds of goods camped outside Jerusalem. But I warned them, why are you camping in front of the wall? If you do it again, I'll use force against you. After that, they did not come again on the Sabbath. These, these merchants who were going to come in and do business, they, they take the hint eventually. Nehemiah solves the problem by just saying, we're not going to do this. You're concerned that the tires are showing up and doing, the Tyrians are showing up and doing business with you? Well, guess what? If we don't let them come, if we don't do business with them, 
they won't come to do business with us. What would happen if God's people just refused to do business on Sunday? What if every person in our community who claimed the name of Christ just said, you know, I'm not going to Food Lion on Sunday? What if every parent who could have their kid in church on Sunday morning, but instead has them on the ball field playing travel ball, complaining about having their kid on the field. Oh man, preacher, I'd love to be there on Sunday, but that's when travel ball tournaments are. We got to be there. What if every Christian parent just said, not going to do it. There wouldn't be any more travel ball games on Sunday, guys. We need to bar the gates. We need to bar the gates against the the, the call of the culture who want us to forget the Lord's day. And if we don't do it, we, we will do the exact same thing the Jerusalem, residents of Jerusalem and Judah did. We'll end up mixing the business of the world with the pleasure of spending time with God. Now, I'm I'm not interested in a a kind of legalism here in in determining what can and can't be done on the Sabbath. That's what the Pharisees did. Jesus wasn't too hot on that as well. In fact, all too often when we try and create these rules, I can do this, I can't do that. I can play this kind of card game, but I can't play this kind of card game. I can watch this kind of TV show, but I can't watch that kind of TV show. Well, a lot of times when we start making rules like that, what we're really trying to do is we're really trying to see what it is that we can get away with. That's what the Pharisees are doing, right? They want to know what they can get away with. Instead of focusing on what they should be doing. You know, it's the, it's the Lord's day. Christ took the Sabbath day that seventh day, he took it with him into the grave and, 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 and it died and he brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him. We've got to have a, a moral obligation to continue to observe. So instead of writing a bunch of rules about what we can and can't do, which A, isn't going to work, and B, totally misses the point, what do we do? Well, let's focus on what the Lord's Day is for. The Lord's Day first is for worship. That's the first priority. Whether it's corporate worship, us joining here together on Sunday morning and on Sunday night, whether it's fellowshipping with God's people as we're going to do this afternoon, whether it's going home and focusing and reading about God in the Bible or Everybody got a Christmas, everybody got an Easter gift. If you didn't get one, they're still out there. Make it the Lord's Day. The second thing that we should be doing on the Lord's Day is we should be, we should be engaged in mercy. The Lord's Day is a day for mercy. You know, every time Jesus gets in trouble for doing something on the Sabbath, what's he doing? He's, he's extending an act of mercy. On someone. The Lord's Day is a great day to welcome the stranger, to feed the hungry, and to visit the sick. Because, after all, acts of mercy 
can be acts of worship. How do we worship our God? How do we live out the worship of our God? Through mercy. And finally, let's remember the Lord's day by by resting, by ceasing from labor. Bill Gates was asked one time, why aren't you a Christian? And his response, I found, was interesting. It was this, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There is a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. If that is not an answer from an engineer. But we've got this idea, right, that we've got to be efficient, we've got to be doing, we've got to be, we've got to go. But we need to make sure that our work does not enslave us. That we don't worship an idol of work or money or efficiency. We've got to worship and show mercy and rest. Why do we find it so hard to take delight in worshiping God? We do. Sometimes I do, right? Because here's the thing. If we didn't find it so hard, guess what? We'd be full. And we'd be full on Sunday night. We'd be spending time together, worshiping God. But we find it hard to take delight. And I think it's because sometimes God bores us. You know, we'll put in our time. We'll be there on Sunday morning. We'll do what we've got to do. But I've got, but it's just a thing that I get through so I can get to the better stuff. Right? We, we better get out before the Methodists do so I can still get to the fried chicken. Preacher, first pitch is at one o'clock. I've got stuff I've got to do before then. Wrap it up. He's still talking, and I've got a 12.30 tea time. I wonder if I can text my buddy. Honoring the Lord's day gets easy when we truly want to honor the Lord on his day. The strain and the struggle comes when we still want to do our own thing. I've done it. I've sat in church, looked at my watch. It's time to go. I got stuff to do. What better thing do you have to do than worship God? We want to do our own thing. As I was preparing this week, I read this story. There's a gentleman walking down the street and a beggar comes up to him and asks him for money. And he opens his wallet and he only has $7. It's all he's got. Normally he carries a lot more than that. But for whatever reason, that day, all he's got is $7. He's got a five and two ones. And so he takes $6 and he hands it to the beggar and he goes, man, this is for you. This This is for you to get done what you need to get done. It's my gift to you. But the beggar sees that other dollar in his wallet. 
And so he takes the six and slaps the man and steals the seventh and runs off. It's kind of a jerk move, right? Man's handing you six bucks. And you slap him in the face so you can steal the seventh. What then of us? Sinners saved by grace who insist on taking all seven days for ourselves. Or, if we're really devout, we'll only take six and a half for ourselves and give one to God. God asks for one day out of seven. I don't think it's a big ask. It would be his right to ask for all seven. Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be hymn number 330, Amazing Grace.